I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Will you tell our listeners about your show, It Couldn't Happen Here? Yeah. There was like a really splashy front page crime in my community. There's a young woman who had been horrifically abused by her partner, this woman, Nikki Adamondo. And I went to go advocate for her as she was standing trial for her partner's murder. And I found out that the judge in the case, who had said horrendous things to this young woman, was a part of my social circle here in my small town where I live in the Hudson Valley in New York. And I saw pictures of him and his wife on Facebook at all the charity fundraisers that I've been invited to. And I'm like too antisocial to go to. And Uh I saw them like mingling with people I knew. And I felt weird about wanting to publicly admonish this man who has no idea what he's talking about with domestic violence. And the prosecutor was the same thing. It was like, oh, this is awful. What's happening to this girl? But I felt so handcuffed living in a small town where I knew I was going to see these people at like the supermarket or the soccer field. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so my husband and I had just done a show called Friday Night In at AMC during the pandemic that really addressed what we all were dealing with during the pandemic. And we went to the executives there and we're like, hey, can we address this other thing that seems to be a real nightmare in small towns? Because no one understands the judicial system until you're thrust into it. You know, you don't have a master's degree in our legal system. And they're like, yeah, go investigate. See if this is something that's happening elsewhere where people are being railroaded by a system that is not in their favor. And what we found was that it was everywhere. All of these elected officials, judges, sheriffs, district attorneys, All these people that are supposed to be working for our communities were really kind of out in the open, working against people, working against DNA evidence, working against wrongful convictions, and this kind of sense of a refusal to self-correct, a refusal to fix their own work because they're so proud and they won't address the problems in our system. We have just been going from small town to small town, shining a light on those situations. And the show is not only suspenseful, it's really well done, it's incredibly interesting, but it also has a strong sense of your advocacy, of what you want to bring to the table. And you can feel the gratitude and the emotion from the people that you speak with. Thanks. It must be hard to kind of protect yourself at times. You know what I mean? What's weird is I was so caught off guard the first season when I had to do press because everyone kept asking me these questions that were real like, I don't want to say vapid, but dismissive in a way where they're like, oh, my God, well, what do you do to decompress from a day of filming? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just sat with a murder victim's family. I went home and I cried. 
Like, <laughs> go do fun stuff. Yeah. Once you know how unscripted television is made, you can't unknow that. You can't put it back in the box. And so we know that there are a number of other true crime shows where they have their list of 10 questions. They go and they sit with these people and they basically say, tell me about the worst day of your life. And they record with you while they're getting their makeup touch-ups and like maybe getting a coffee run. And then they leave after two hours and you're sitting there with your open wound and then it's going to be on display for the whole country. And so having worked in unscripted television, especially in my youth, you know, I was like a VJ at MTV for five years. We did unscripted. And knowing how predatory it can be sometimes, mm -hmm. I really wanted to do a show where we let people tell their whole story, not just the 10 questions to get my sound bites, you know? We engage with the family with the advocacy. We stay friends with them after the show airs. And what was really lovely about this second season that we've done is that the families have started to connect. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Like a mom who was very, very successful in taking down the sheriff who would not investigate her daughter's murder is now like giving instruction to a family down in Georgia whose loved one died of what was said to be a suicide, but was probably not, you know? Right. And they're all teaching each other how to engage with a system that doesn't want you. Right. And so that has been incredibly rewarding, is to see this army of advocates really team up. Yeah. And that really speaks to who you are, that people are trusting you. But I also know that that kind of absorption, taking that on for you— I mean, we've all done dumb jobs, right? Yeah. We've all done stuff that we're kind of embarrassed of later. Even though it was a fluffy job, it carries a different kind of weight because it's like, oh, God, what did I put into the ether? That was dumb. Totally. <laughs> but I have a mortgage. Exactly. <laughs> you know? This is a different kind of weight because it's work that I really, really, really care about. Yeah. And if you're going to be away from your kids, it should be for something yeah. that not only you care about, but you want them to care about as they get older. But yeah, there have been days that have just been pure shit because I think social media is my Achilles heel. Oh. You know, I can post a dumb picture of like me wearing a funny hat, you know, like being a goober. Here's a vegetable from my garden, <laughs> you know, and 200,000 people engage with it. And then I post a petition where it's like, this is a person on death row who is going to die unless we all get our act together and make a fuss about it. And the engagement isn't as strong. And I find myself getting really, like, frustrated about that. And so my zen has to be finding a way to use the stupid hats and use the vegetables from the garden to make something palatable so that people engage, you know? I can't tell you enough how impressed I've been watching your show with how you connect to people, how you connect to communities, how you connect to the individuals. And I love it that you're telling me that a community has grown from your work. That's just incredible. Well, thanks. That's incredible. Like, moms can do anything. You know what I mean? It's like every mom you know at the school pickup line loves true crime. And I look at all the dumb shit that we do as moms, like whether it's selling leggings or like everybody doing the Pilates thing together. We know how to get together as a community. And so if we can harness that feeling of community and get innocent people out of prison or get guilty people put in prison, you know, whatever the fuck up is, if we can do it together, awesome. How rewarding.
I have a really loose, very uneducated theory. Okay. The idea was this. The women in my community love true crime. The men don't seem to care as much about it. (laughs) And my theory is this. Because there was a young fear instilled in a lot of us from like age three, like don't talk to strangers. (laughs) Or even like when your parents are like, oh, she's shy. The ingrained fear of stranger interaction has been implanted in a lot of us at a pretty young age. (laughs) And you kind of don't know what to do with it. There's a degree of like confirmation. And I take it a step further. I studied this in college. Every elective I took was either like criminology, psychology. Everything was with this focus of forensic psychology, trying to understand why humans do what they do. And serial killers were my focus because... As a teenager, that's the worst thing you can think of. So if you can figure that out, you've gotten it. Right. Women are specifically fixated on true crime because we are planners. We are studiers. And if we can just absorb and learn as many bad scenarios as possible, we can prevent it from happening in our own life. It's prevention theory. It's like, oh, I'm going to learn everything about this subject matter, and then it's not going to happen to me. I've been trained to be a victim my whole life, but if I just do my homework, I won't be like those girls on TV. And I think that there's the pressure of decorum, you know, of course, Mm. like of manners. Like my mom gave me a book in college called The Gift of Fear, (laughs) which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. And I haven't read it in ages. Yeah. But it was essentially like, don't be embarrassed about crossing the street if someone is like approaching you and makes you feel uneasy. Like, listen to your gut. Yeah. You can own that idea of like, this person is making me uncomfortable. I don't need to be polite or I don't need to engage. Yeah. And I think for a long time, like the 60s, 70s, 80s, even now, like we were given the fear element Uh and then we were always given the, but be polite and sweet. Even the typical true crime show is done in a very scripted, very well-lit way. Uh Uh-huh. You know, the decorum's there. It's very polite. Everyone sits with their knees crossed and is having civil conversations. I don't have to follow those rules because I'm not a journalist. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not former law enforcement. I'm just some lady that doesn't like what's happening in the shadows. And so I have permission to cry with the people that I talk to. I have permission to get angry. I don't have to stay unbiased. And I think that's the other thing that's different about our show is that I'm allowed to have an opinion. Most shows aren't. Oh, completely. You get a better sense of intimacy because of you as opposed to like, the glossy distance. And I think that at this kind of post Me Too and all that we've been going through, it is like this time in our society where these two ideas of like young girls being encouraged to be friendly and (laughs) smiling and polite and also being very fearful. (laughs) These two ideas are kind of colliding in a way that should have been addressed a long time ago because I've watched enough true crime to recognize that most of these people that are killing other people have no regard for any sense of humanity, of course, you know? Yeah. The trick of that mythology is that the person who is most likely to hurt you isn't a stranger in a van. It is the person that you cook dinner for. It's somebody in your household or it's someone that you work with or that you have an intimate relationship with. It's very rarely a stranger that's going to come and attack you. And so we fed girls this mythology for so long. Mm -hmm. Just be polite to strangers and nothing bad will happen to you. Avoid the strangers. 
I think with the intersection of Me Too and this kind of change in the true crime genre, hopefully the message that's getting out is cut the shit. Let's name names. Don't be polite about it. And know that it's not some mythological stranger. It's the person that you live with. It's the person that you work with. Like, that's who you need to be wary of. In your first season of It Couldn't Happen Here, I think it was the second episode. At the end of the episode, his name was or is Jeremy, who may or may not have killed his wife. Yeah, he's law enforcement. His girlfriend was found dead of a gunshot wound with his service weapon. And there is a lot of disagreement over whether or not she was shot or she committed suicide. I mean, I'm going with the former. It seems, you know, when you look at the physical evidence on the scene and you look at the information that has come out after Michelle's death, his girlfriend's name was Michelle, it seems like a big no-duh. Yeah. And that's hard to sit with because some cases there's going to be movement and other cases you go in and you rattle the chains and you shine a light and the community's like, no, we're good with it. We're good. The show also makes really good on the promise of the idea of how violence affects a small community. And in that particular episode, the officer, the police officer, was very much protected by the community. Yeah, his stepfather who raised him had been law enforcement. And so when his stepfather died, it's my understanding that the chief of police, the top dog in that community, said, I'm going to look after him like he's my own son. And that's exactly what he did. He protected him. They did not bring him into the police station for his interrogation. It was done like in the back of a cruiser that night. He was allowed to stay at the crime scene. Like there were all of these procedural screw-ups. They should have recused themselves right away and let a state agency come in and take over that crime scene. When you're in a small town and you don't have crazy shit happen all the time, it's really easy for you to not follow procedure or to just be in over your head. And rather than admit that and say like, oh, God, we screwed this up, agencies have to double down and be like, no, we did everything great. And there's just nothing to see here. Move along. And then they blockade and blockade. <sighs> so frustrating. I sort of want to talk about your marriage, but maybe that's a lot. Or <laughs> how long of a conversation is that? Well, is it your first marriage? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I let people think that I was engaged to an ex-boyfriend because it was just easier. Or no, I let them think we were married. Somebody was like, is that your husband? And I was like, yeah, one day. So then rather than people being like, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? When are you getting married? If you just pretend like you are, then you totally. I could have saved a lot of money. Right. <laughs> And I did. I did. <laughs> just make it pretend. Yeah. But even with Jeffrey, he was just like, wait a second, were you married before? And I'm like, no, God, no, there's no paperwork. Somebody, anybody do the homework. There's no paperwork. I was never married before Jeffrey. And I made him wait a very long time. That is so wise. And it kind of <laughs> leads into our first call. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Nia. Hi, Nia. Oh, thank you so much for your letter. I'm here with Hillary, and we were just talking weddings. Ugh, uh-uh. You know, which led right into you. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell us what's going on? Well, first of all, thank you so much. I am a massive fan. This is so surreal, and I love your podcast. I listen every week. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So basically what is going on is a little over a month ago, I called off my wedding and ended my relationship with my partner of almost five years. We have been having problems leading up to this for a while, especially since getting engaged. We were even in premarital counseling because, you know, I was at a point where I was like, I can't keep being treated this way. We need to resolve these issues before we get married. And the final nail in the coffin was my fiance saying that he was not ready to be married and that this was a major contributing factor to why he had been treating me the way that he was. Obviously, this was so heartbreaking for me. Our wedding had already been planned. We already had saved the dates out. Oh, my God. Nia, you are so strong. This is awesome. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. But I know it's horrible. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. And so, like, it wasn't just a shock to me. It was a shock to our families, our friends. I mean... It was a lot of money down the drain. It turned my entire world upside down. So obviously I was crushed. He wanted to stay together, but he wanted to just table the wedding stuff for a while. So I asked him, you know, what timeline are you thinking? Like, where is your head at? And he was like, honestly, I don't know. And I just emotionally could not, I could not stay because I was ready. I was there 100%. It was happening. And I couldn't be with somebody who wasn't where I was at in the relationship. So we ended things and I moved out pretty immediately. And how long ago was this, Nia? I think it was five weeks to the day. Oh, my God. What? Babe, this just happened? This just happened. Oof. Like, I just moved into my new place. Like, oh, I'm just not getting settled. You're so strong. Yeah. Thank you. A lot of therapy. <laughs> so a couple weeks passed. It was terrible. But I was coming to terms with the fact that this was a new chapter in my life. I needed to start fresh and... We hadn't really been talking much over that couple of weeks besides like logistical things. Like we had pets, obviously I was moving, but then a couple of weeks passed and he called me up and he was like, can I come over? I have some things that I'd really like to talk to you about. And I was like, yeah, of course. And so he came over and he went on this two hour long emotional heartfelt speech about how he had made the biggest mistake of his life and how he had just been doing so much thinking and soul searching since I had left and how... He felt like somebody had put smelling salts in front of his face and like he had just woken up and realized all of the mistakes he had made over the years and how he had been taking out his insecurities on me and how all of his reasons for not wanting to marry me were so petty. And not only was he ready to get married now, that he wanted to run away and elope whenever I said the word. This is a real head spin. Yeah. 
And I sat there and I listened. I didn't say anything. I just listened. I mean, this was the most emotional I'd ever seen him ever. Like he just wasn't an emotional person during our relationship. He never really wanted to have deep conversations about anything. So I sat and I listened. And at the end, I was like, look, this is everything I've ever wanted to hear, but I can't elope with you right now. Like we just canceled our wedding and you weren't ready two seconds ago. And so I need time right now. And it was whiplash. And honestly, like I'm still hurt and crushed by what happened because I was there and I was pumped. I was excited. We already had it. We were there. I said that I was willing to hear him out and I was willing to, you know, see if over time, like I saw those changes in him and he said, you know, totally understood where I was coming from. And he knew that he sounded crazy, but that he was crazy, but in a good way, crazy. And like, he just wanted to start embracing life more and how he was willing to take as much time as I needed and just show me that he was changing. So ever since then, he has done a complete 180 on the way he'd been acting when we were together. I mean, he wanted to spend so much time with me. He's talking about planning trips with me. He's already told his whole family and all of his friends that he made a big mistake and that he's trying to turn it around. And he has been initiating conversations about things that I used to have to force him to talk about. It's like I'm at this crazy crossroads right now because I'm still very hurt by everything that happened and I'm still processing it. Yeah. And I don't love feeling like a doll that, you know, he can pick up when he wants and put down when he wants. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, in your letter, you mentioned that he didn't want to tell his family. Didn't want to tell them that it was off? That they were engaged. Mm -hmm. Oh, we had a long engagement. This was probably like a year and a half ago. When he first got engaged, I had to push him to tell his family. And he had all sorts of excuses. Like he was like, well, I don't want to call them. I want to tell them in person. And the reason for that was he didn't tell them who was going to propose. So it was off from the start. And like, I had to cry to get him to tell his parents that we were engaged. Okay, babe. Yeah. (laughs) I want to know during that like two hour apology speech, if it was like, I'm so fucked up, I'm like this or whatever. I want him to say to you, I'm really sorry that I heard you this time. Not just like, oh, we're going to make beautiful babies together. (laughs) And he has. That's the thing, too, is like the way he's apologizing now is so different than what I had heard. Because we've gone through this before where it's been like, you know, everything's going to change, I promise. And then it doesn't. Yeah. But, you know, he's been apologizing for like hyper specific things and you know, saying that he's so sorry that it took this for him to realize all of this and he can't believe how he made me feel this whole time. So it's everything I wanted to hear, but it's so frustrating at the same time. Well, because it feels like the pattern is repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest fear. And then I told him that and said, you know, like I've heard similar things from you before where it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's going to change. And then it just doesn't. And I think the difference right now is all of those times, like, I was 100% rooting for him. Like, I wanted to believe him. Uh But this time, like, we canceled our wedding and I moved out. Like, I don't have stakes here anymore. And, like, of course, I still do want to believe him. Like, I love him to death. He's my best friend. He's home to me. Like, we've been through so much together. Well, that's also the thing, too, is that you're missing right now companionship you're used to. Uh There's this hero complex that a lot of young men have where they have to manufacture chaos so that they can come in and be the hero. And so it seems like an escalation of, well, I've upset you with this. 
But then I got to come in and tell you something nice, and it made you so happy. And then I upset you with this, and now I get to make you so happy. And now I have upset you in the biggest way possible, and I get to show up with all my therapy talk and be your knight (laughs) in shining armor. This is like my first husband. (laughs) Baby, it is exhausting, and it will never end. Exhausting is the perfect word. There's so much just like cognitive dissonance and just like back and forth, and it's like my brain is so jumbled that I never know what to think. And I've talked to him a lot about the concept of like self-sabotage. And, you know, he's like opened up to me about that, like how he feels like he is kind of addicted to that feeling of like being miserable and how he puts himself into situations that he knows are not in his best interest just to like make him more miserable. And I feel like this is just a major version of that. But I don't want to be pulled into that narrative. Like it's not fair on me. Totally. I try not to ask ages but are you guys 20s, 30s? We're 25. Okay. Oh, honey, you had started this next chapter and you were pumped. You were into your new apartment. I was trying to hype myself up. It was like, yeah. Yeah. you know, you can do better. But I'm not exaggerating right now. Like we were in counseling and our couple counselor was like, Mia, I'm going to be very blunt with you right now. Do you think this is the best you can do? Yes. And that was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit. Those are the moments you need, truly, not to get back to my first marriage. (laughs) (laughs) But the big sister energy here. (laughs) But I had like a new friend, an actor on set, and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? doing with that guy yeah because I was always so defensive around my family and friends and then they saw me being really drained Mm -hmm. and we were competitive we were both in the same industry but I was doing much better Mm -hmm. like where is he career-wise you know I actually do think this is a factor so he has always compared himself to others and I am a little bit ahead of him in that department but he's had a lot more like instability, like his first job out of college was like postponed by COVID for a super long time. And then he was laid off by that job. And he's looking for a startup right now, which he really, really enjoys. But obviously, like the compensation for that isn't where he feels like he should be at right now. And I do think that that was a huge insecurity for him for a long time. And I think that he thinks that he's just not where he wants to be in life. And it makes him feel more immature. It makes him feel younger that he looks at his peers and they're more ahead than he is. Is getting married one of those more ahead things? Because I grew up in a small community where like everyone married whoever they were dating senior year in college. I come from a similar hometown. (laughs) Yeah. If he's feeling that much pressure to hit those goals, getting married should not be one of them. I think that actually it's kind of the opposite. And I think that one of the things that was like a hang up for marriage for him was that he looked at his peers and like, none of his friends are getting married. Mm -hmm. They're all like getting ahead in their careers right now. And so I don't know if he felt like, well, maybe that's what I should be doing because I'm not making the money that. And that was another thing where whenever we would talk about kids, he'd be like, well, what about money? And now all of a sudden he's done this complete 180 where he's like, yes, I want a family with you. I don't care about money. (sighs) I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, babe. Okay. I didn't know what kind of show this was. I didn't know if we were just allowed to say it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, life is short. And Nia, you're hot and you're successful. (laughs) Thank you. And you're 25. And you just got your own place and it is about to be so fun. Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine how painful that was that he didn't want to tell his parents as though 
his foot was already kind of halfway out the door. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't feel mature enough and he probably isn't. Mm -hmm. And that was another issue throughout our relationship. And I understand why he's not mature enough yet, because like we had very different upbringings. Like I had a very like tumultuous childhood where I kind of had to be an adult at like 12. But are you close with your parents? Not really. I'm trying to kind of build more of a relationship with my dad, but I had a really crazy, crazy upbringing. So I had to mature very quickly, but he had a very like idyllic, magical childhood. And then he went to college and he was a D1 athlete. And so he's always been, you know, top of the world, Mr. Cool Guy. And I think he entered the real world and like things weren't very easy. Uh, it's the worst, girl. They weren't like handed to him. Yeah. Here's the thing. A lot of the stuff that you're describing feels very middle age problems to me. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. My identity is in flux right now. I need to push you away, like all that kind of stuff. I want you to think about these core problems that he has and then throw in having kids. Your kids are going to get sick. I have sick kids all the time. There's going to be school stuff. There's going to be chaos with your jobs. Your parents are going to get ill. People are going to die that you care about. Like, shit is only going to compound from 25 on. That is such a good point. And, like, I brought that exact same thing up to him before, where it's like, well, what about when things are real problems? Like, yes, we have problems now, but in the grand scheme of life, like you were saying, if we had children, if one of them had a serious illness, if one of us had a serious illness, are you going to run away anytime something is difficult? Are you going to push me away? So I totally see what you're saying there. What's he going to do when you hit menopause? <laughs> and you're just bitchy just because your biology tells you to be bitchy. Yeah. That was another thing, too, is I'm very much the type of personality where, like, if we're having an issue, I want to talk through it. I want to get both of our perspectives out there and reach some sort of consensus. And he is more avoidant. Like, that's just his personality type. And so if I ever express an emotion or displeasure about something that was going on, it was my fault for bringing up an issue. Like, the mm -hmm. issue wasn't the problem. It was talking about the issue that was the problem. I don't like how he treats you. Mm -mm. Towards the end, I was like, I am not being treated well. Like, straight up, this is not good. And, like, he has apologized for all of these things. And, like, we're talking about all of these things more openly now. But it's still like that wound is there. Oh, for sure. And, you know, these kind of scars are important. I mean, I say that because I have so many of them. <laughs> same. I'm sorry. Same, same. And, you know, I'm so wise. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that will always be a big scar. Ever. If you do decide to give it another go at the end of the day. Right. It's not going to go away. It'll fade. But here's what I imagine. I imagine if you guys get back together and he's a part of your life again and you guys are taking it slowly, I imagine that things will be good for a while. Uh -huh. Then you guys will move back in together and then the cycle will repeat itself uh -huh. and you'll be kind of ground down. This is one avenue. Uh -huh. The other avenue is kind of struggling through the pain and the loneliness, like the car crash that happened in your life. There was like the pre and the post. Mm -hmm. And you're living in the post. And I imagine that time and the loneliness will be the hard part. If you go back to him or if you guys get back together, I would never judge you because I've done that same thing over and over and over again <laughs> until like the relationship eventually has scarred me so much that I'm like, 
oh, God, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? I feel bad about myself, you know? It was. Like exhausted of generosity, too, of like trying to make somebody else feel better. Like, no, you are good. You are good. And it was hard. But this could be just a really awesome, like in six to seven months, you can expand your social circle now in a way that you couldn't before. That's right. I think he's behaving selfishly. But especially in your 20s, there's so much to do (laughs) career-wise. You're looking hot. Even if you guys did get back together, I wouldn't talk about marriage again. I just want you to have somebody that just adores you and makes you feel really good and really safe. And that might not be the most exciting person or the handsomest or whatever. I just want you loved. I want you well-loved. And I don't think this guy has the tools to necessarily give that to you. I thought you were going to tell me he came from like a broken home, so didn't know how to do relationships. So the fact that you say he comes from something like loving and postcard. And he didn't want to tell. That's weird. He didn't want to tell his parents. That's hurtful. What's the language you can give her for how to respond? Because he's going to call her tomorrow or tonight and be like, Okay, so when do I get to come over? Yeah, you're right. I love this. Hillary, you're so good at this. I'm going to take notes. (laughs) But Nia, first, questions for you. Would he call you or text you? Probably call me. I'd probably just be like, tell me about your day. Just looking for excuses to talk. Okay. And how does it make you feel? Is your first inclination like, oh my God, I really want to call him back? Like, what would you do? Let's say a message came in or you saw him calling on your phone. Would you answer it? Yeah, typically my gut reaction is to immediately call back because I want to talk to him. Yeah, you miss him. I know. Here's the thing. Is there a medium, right? Like you said he was a D1 athlete. Is he hot? Like you think he's hot? I think he's hot. Yeah, he's <laughs> hot. He's acting like such a dick. I'm he's sorry, being Mia. such a dick. Yeah, he's being a dick. Is there a world in which she just sleeps with him and doesn't commit to him just to like let it die out? Or does she have to go cold turkey? These are her rules. That's what I've been doing, Hillary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's literally what I've been doing. Totally. And guess what? Now you've got a smile on your face. Yeah. You've been frowning (laughs) this whole conversation. And the second we're like, yeah, but you're sleeping with him because he's saying all the right things. But you could sleep with anyone else if you want to, too. Like, now you're smiling. What I'm so impressed by, you took like immediate action and moved out. Which means that you were hurt badly. But I'm really impressed by your strength. Oh, thank you. It's true. I really am. I think when you do break up with him fully, (laughs) he's going to be surprised, but he shouldn't be. Mm -mm. He really should not be. (laughs) You know what I mean? Guys are sometimes like late on the pickup. Seriously. (laughs) And they're like, this was out of the blue. Right. It's like, no, it wasn't, man. Where were all the signs? Yeah. Yeah. So listen to that stuff, too. It dawns on me, like, there's a relief in what he's doing because so many of us as women are gaslit to be like, you're making this the problem. You're the problem. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. And so you do have a man, a young man, validating like, you know what? You're not crazy. This is on me. And so you can appreciate the honesty and be thankful for it without getting back together. You know, it can be two separate things. Yeah. And you can say that. You can be like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that we've been able to diagnose this. But let's move in two different directions happily. Mm -hmm. It's not like mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be like, I'm grateful for this, so I will be with you. Yeah. It's I'm grateful for this and see you later. And Nia, I was thinking about the concept of like soulmate or even best friend and how that shifts throughout our lives. 
And we cling on out of safety to these labels as though someone is like a brother or a sister. And well, I hear that a lot. And I used to say those things too, but it's a little simplistic. And it also implies that we're living in the past a bit. Yeah. Like there were those good times. I remember that. I guess in our attempt to figure things out, we need categories for people and we need to tell ourselves some things. And I talked to a lot of callers who have said like, but this person is my soulmate. And it's like the story that they've cemented when really the cement still hasn't settled at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have had so many people in my life tell me that they love me. Love is an action. And so if you are in action loving someone, you don't have to say it, right? Like all these words, 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 words he's throwing at you are unnecessary if he is in action loving you, if he is including you with his family, if he is changing his behavior, if he is centering you in his list of priorities, then he doesn't have to make these big declarations. That's the trick of the grand gesture. Yeah, like your parents will tell you they love you and then like vote against something that is important to you. Love is consideration consistently. And this first little chunk of time He's being really grand. But there's a Sharon Jones in the Dapkin song called A Hundred Days, A Hundred Nights to Know a Man's Heart. Like, see if you can do it for a hundred days. Okay. Like a hundred days is a good amount of time to see what's consistent and what isn't. Especially like the younger you are, the harder it is to hit that hundred day mark. Yeah. I love that line. Love it. Consideration consistently. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> so, Nia, here's what I conclude. Do more observing than needing. And try not to take his bait. However, that manifests itself when you start to see it, because you probably know you've been together for five years. Okay. He hasn't provided much evidence of being a great partner for you. Okay. In the idea of like living in nostalgia when things were easier, when you guys first started dating and you're madly in love and you are futurizing, he's not. I don't think you should marry him. It'll be hard because you won't have that sense of security and companionship for a minute. But that's when you go to Italy. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have decided that I'm going to do our honeymoon by myself. Oh, my God. Yes. This is how good movies start. Yeah. This is fun. (laughs) See what I said? You just got this apartment. Yeah. The world is yours. You don't have to check in with anybody. Look how she lights up when we talk about that, though. Well, that reminded me, my little sister, she had the best response to all this. She was like, well, it's so mean character of you to cancel your wedding. And I was like, (laughs) that made me feel so much better. Yeah. Wait, where's your honeymoon, though? Belize. Oh, Oh, great. Fabulous. Oh, honey, you are going to kiss really good looking people (laughs) on this trip. It's going to be so fun. That's the goal. Yeah. (laughs) Are you close with your sister? Can you take your sister? We've talked about it, about her just taking his place. So that might happen. I love the idea of you going alone, but I also love the idea of you going with like a dear friend or your sister Mm -hmm. and just getting really close. Yeah. So anyway, Nia, you've got so much time Mm -hmm. and I want you to feel loved. Listen, when you're going out over the course of the next year and you're kissing hot dudes, if you could just tag (laughs) us in your Instagram photos so that we can live vicariously through Uh, you, that's fun. (laughs) Thank you. Will do. (laughs) And lean on your little sister. You know, I love it that you guys are close. Yeah, she's great. She forced me to make a Tinder. Oh, Oh, good. She's already on Tinder. (laughs) This is done. Yeah. I feel good about it. Me too. (laughs) 
I really appreciate your openness and your honesty about this. I really do. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. You've given me a lot to think about. And I feel a lot better after this conversation, honestly. Thank you both so much. Good. Good. We're rooting for you. Thanks. Bye, Nia. Thank you so Bye, much. Bye, Nia. Bye. Girl, you know when you're just like, don't go up those stairs. And I feel like such an ass because I'm like, wait a second, are we supposed to say it? I know. I mean, I feel bad because so many girls are gaslit. I know. And told like, you're overreacting, you're being dramatic. And so if we can validate any young woman that's like, am I making a bad choice? It's like, no, (laughs) run. That house is on fire. Totally. And the idea of a guy saying something like, but you're perfect for me. You're meant for me. No. It's so consuming. So then we're expected to melt into whatever this person wants from us. But also, I'm going to be 20 different people over the course of the next 30 years. Completely. I'm going to love differently. Yeah. I'm going to have sex differently. Everything. So this person that's right for you, she's going to disappear. (laughs) There's got to be something else. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, Katie. Hi. I'm here with Hillary, who is just amazing. Thank you for your letter. And will you tell us what's going on? So recently, my mom has been going through a lot more health struggles than usual, and she was placed in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator. And one of my older cousins has taken power of attorney over her. However, she's kind of lacking in communication with letting me know what's going on with my mom. And she's also called me a few times and kind of told me how hard it is for her. But the thing is, it's like my mom. So it's kind of hard to vocalize with her how I feel about it as well without coming off as angry and defensive. Why was your cousin given power of attorney? So my mom lives with her and my mom has gone through a lot of health stuff within the past 10 years. And it was my mom's request because it's like a lot of responsibility for me. And I totally understand. And my cousin has not made any sort of wrong choices, but it's just the lack of knowing what's going on. Like, I didn't even know she was in the hospital until the next day. Oh, babe. That's really hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. How much older is your cousin? So she's in her 60s. 
So it's more like an ant vibe. Yes, ant vibe. <laughs> so she calls you and gives you grief for not visiting your mom, even though she's not giving you any information. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And the way that she's been giving the information is through other family members, and it becomes a game of telephone at that point. Okay. So it's just hard to know what's really going on. And when she did call me this last time, it was because my brother had made a Facebook post kind of airing everything out. And I don't use Facebook. So when I got the call, it was a huge surprise to me. What does your brother think? Where is he in this? So my brother has been pretty distant in the family. He doesn't have a good relationship with this cousin either. So his sort of plan of attack is always aggression and high defenses. Yeah, that's why he posted everything on Facebook, right? Exactly. He just sort of put it out to everyone. And he tagged me in it, too. So it kind of made it seem like I was a part of it. Mm -hmm. How old are you, babe? I'm 22. Ah, this is a lot for you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just have your brother as a sibling? Yes, I have half siblings, but my mom and that side of the family does not communicate with them at all. So it's kind of separate. So I have my brother pretty much that's in this situation. How close were and are you to your mom? So within the past few years, it's gotten a lot better. However, I was not very close with her growing up just because of some of the decisions that she made on her own. And as soon as I turned like 16, I was always out of the house as soon as I could be. Gotcha. So there's like a lot of rawness here. Yeah. And your aunt probably has heard your mom's side of all of that stuff. Yeah. Wait, your cousin, the 60-year-old. Same thing. Okay. <laughs> Same thing. I love it. Sister cousin aunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Sister cousin aunt has probably heard about like your teenage years and maybe has not had a corrected impression of you. Yeah. And because you're only 22, she's not able to revise your position yet. Because I think for you to be power of attorney is too much, right? Yes. And probably your brother is not appropriate. There's probably a very wise decision. Would you agree? Yes, I have absolutely no issue with that. In fact, it's very hard for me to make those sort of decisions. Yeah. I have been going on the weekends because the situation has become a little bit better because my mom is off of the ventilator. Oh, that's good. And she's able to speak again. So I'm able to call her and go see her. But my cousin gets kind of mad that I don't go during the week, but I work a lot. Okay. I think the long game is to do something that's really hard, which is to call and thank her for taking care of your mom. Thank her for being there. Thank her for all the support that she's given to your mom. And if you really want to play a long game, I know that this is really hard to do, but I would apologize for like anything you can think of because this is only her perception of you. She doesn't know how much you have been thinking about this and thinking about your relationship with your mom. If that is the ultimate goal with the long game here, you put your foot forward with generosity mm -hmm. without any defensiveness. She'll be like, oh, my God, she has become so mature. Her mind will kind of be blown, especially if you don't come in with any defensiveness. If you say something like, but, you know, I try to see her during the week or but you know that I was going through that thing. 
try to avoid, if you can, those sort of statements. Just appreciate her. Tell her you want to figure out how to have more access to your mom and have a closer relationship with your sister or cousin aunt. Yes, that definitely sounds like something I can do because she's a permanent fixture in my life. So, I mean, whether or not I like her doesn't matter because she's there to take care of my mom, which I do appreciate so much. I think that is so wonderful for you to express that. She's feeling taxed. She's feeling overburdened. She's feeling resentful. Are they the only two people in that house? Have they been roommates for a while? Yeah, so I actually lived with them until I moved out when I was 21, and it's just been the two of them ever since. I mean, there's an element of grief if your companion is gone and there's a question mark. You know, it doesn't always have to be a romantic partner. Like, her co-pilot is in limbo in the hospital, and so... She's doing a lot of the work, but who's comforting her? Does she have someone that's comforting her? Yeah, so her granddaughter, who I'm pretty close with, she has been going to her house every day. They go and visit my mom together because she doesn't want to go alone, which I understand. Mm -hmm. And that happens during the week? Yes. Okay, gotcha. You're trying to behave in an adult way to comfort your cousin, to relieve some of her stress, to make her feel like she's appreciated, to be closer with her. And eventually, in like a year, she'll say like, oh my God, I remember when you were in that cheerleading outfit or school play or when you were playing the flute. <laughs> like, you can help finesse this road if that's your goal. Yes, I definitely want to be close. Is there like a family text thread? Is there not just a group text where information is relayed? Why does it have to go through other people to get to you? Um, They all have flip phones. <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's a real thing. That's yeah. a real thing. Is there a way to volunteer? Like, hey, I know you're having trouble with the communication part of this. Can I volunteer to take that off your plate? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or especially if you're close with her granddaughter, like, I think that your best move here is proactive. I would tell her how much you love her and appreciate her. Pretend like nothing has happened. It'll be weirdly disarming for her. I would focus right now on like the next few months, like making your cousin feel really loved and appreciated by you. Yes, that all sounds like something I can definitely do. Do you have a resource to send her like a small bouquet of flowers? Yes. Girl, I was going to say the same thing. Like softness. Softness. Softness will get you so many places in this life. Yep. Because the thing is, it sounds like your brother's already the hammer in the toolkit, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can't have two hammers. Exactly. You kind of have to do this independently of his input. He's kind of going through his own thing. Yeah. And he's an older brother? Yes, he's 30. I understand the older brother, little sister bit. He's going through his own thing. You can act independently here and sort of brush him aside. Not like literally like do the protocol. I don't want him getting upset. No, because then you got to send him flowers. <laughs> totally. It's expensive. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> I think that you sound like you're in a really generous, mature open place with this. I really love it because I was kind of hesitant to lay on the like, listen, you're going to have to do the hard chore. Suck it up. <laughs> Suck it up. Kid. Yeah. Of like being unable to express your own resentment and frustration just for a minute, though. You know, you can do that later. But right now, the goal is closeness. And there's so much power in this, too, by the way. 
of you reaching out. Oh, this is a Hallmark movie coming together. Totally. Somebody give us some money. Yeah. <laughs> I also understand that at like age 22, it's a large ask. <laughs> the desire to express one's emotions and voice is strong and should be heard and validated. But if the goal is for family communication, you know, someday your cousin is going to say, you know, I was really rebellious as a kid, too. Or whatever the commonality that she'll feel safe enough to connect with you after you've paved the road to the long journey of family drama. Like, yeah. <laughs> Katie, you're already laughing. Like, you sound like you feel good about the path, you know? Oh, yeah. I've been through a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a great tool in improv called Yes And. And so for your aunt who's having to deal with all the crazy, I'm sure she's hearing like, no, like no from your brother and no from doctors and no from like other family members. And so if you can be her yes and person where you validate what she says and then just add on to it where she's like, nobody comes to visit during the week rather than say, well, this is why and give her a no negative. You say, God, you're right. That must be so hard. Yes, I see that. And I wish I was available on more than just the weekends. So when you take the same information and apply it with a yes and philosophy, it lightens everything. I think that's such great advice, Hillary. The idea of not taking the bait of their own bitterness and playing into a role that they've already assigned you. So let her see the best of you. Then she'll be your champion. And maybe reach out again if you're close to the granddaughter, like just through some phone calls. Then when you can visit, visit. But truly some flowers, love, even just phone attention for right now and see how that goes. I wanted to say to Hillary, I love that she said the yes and thing because that is actually something that I have used in my life for a really long time because I did do improv. Oh, great. So then you know. Yeah. And I am honestly surprised I haven't applied that in this situation. Yeah, you had all the knowledge. It's hard when there's a lot of emotions wrapped up. So this is where you can kind of step in and call her. And maybe make it even more about her than your mom for just a minute. Mm -hmm. That's smart. I think that that will help. Good. I hope so. And you'll be surprised what comes of it. Mm -hmm. Your act of loving your mother right now is being nice to her roommate, her best friend, the person that she trusts to take care of her. This is how you love your mom. Everyone's watching. And so if you can be kind, even in the face of somebody pushing back against that, it is your way of showing the group that you love them. It's a ripple effect. 100%. Yeah, honestly, I think that that would be really good because a lot of people in my family have so much trouble standing up to her that I think that that might actually help a lot. You guys have been so great, honestly, and I am really liking the advice that I'm getting. And I definitely think it's something that I'm going to do. Maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah, there's no pressure. This is all food for thought. You can do it whenever you're comfortable. I want you to be able to assess with like wisdom and generosity to get what you need. Definitely. And I really do appreciate your guys' advice so much. Even just getting an outside perspective was so nice. You're wonderful. You're wise. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. Mm -hmm. You guys are the best. And I hope your mom's okay, babe. That's a lot. Thank you. She's getting a lot better. Good. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you so much. You're doing great. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Hillary, I cannot thank you enough. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for watching the show. Oh, I really love it. Like there's some podcasts that sometimes do an excellent job. And then sometimes they're flip. They're flip. Yeah. And your show accomplishes all things. Thanks. It is suspenseful and it's human. And what you're doing is something really important. And I really, really appreciate you. Thanks. Well, we've got people we're getting out of prison. Yeah. Greg Lance from last year, the guy that was an arson case, and he clearly yes. didn't commit the arson. I went to his hearing, and they're trying to get the DNA tested. And it, fingers crossed, the judge is going to let them finally, after 20-something years, test the DNA. But that will be huge for him. Like, it's a big step in getting him out of prison. So there's, like, movement. There's fun stuff happening. Because of you. Because the real killer's son came forward. Oh, God. Real killer's son came forward after our episode aired and was like, my parents killed those people. Why is that guy in prison? Like, okay. So, yeah, you know, we do dumb shit as actors. So if we can do something nice, that feels better. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.